As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Win over Chelsea to put City 13 points clear of their opposition and finish the weekend with an 11 point buffer to Liverpool in second place means it's been a pretty good few days. Welcome to this week's Why Always Us. This is your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney. With me is Sam Lee. Hiya, Sam. Hello. It's a special show today, isn't it? It's number 100 it that we've done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice one. Um, yeah, someone's got to get to 100 shows, haven't they? I thought, just for this special occasion, Sam, I'd, uh, I'd do a little bit of the uh, number crunching uh, last night okay. before we started. Uh, you've done 92 of the shows, including today. Uh, I've oh. done 98 of them, including today. So uh, we've uh, we've managed to, uh, somewhere along the line, neither of us have what managed to What happened when you weren't around? Uh, you interviewed Nedham for one of them. Uh, I remember that. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, but uh, I can't remember what the other one was. No, no that would be it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, oh, no, so- it won't, yeah. Total runtime for uh, the podcast so far is three days, five hours, nine minutes, and fifty-six seconds. Are you sure that's not the average runtime? No, that's the. <laughs> well, it is when you're speaking. It is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so if you if you want to catch some of that three days, five hours, nine minutes, and fifty-six seconds without the ads, then you can sign up to the Athletic right now. Uh, you can hear them all ad-free, or you can read all of Sam's stuff on City as well. Just sign up with the code ManCityPod. You'll get thirty-three percent off the price of a full subscription. That's theAthletic.com forward slash ManCityPod. Um, let's start this week, Sam. Uh, after last week and the discussions with Jim, who runs uh, Man City Tactics on Twitter about the problems that City had faced with Chelsea last season uh, and how that changed at Stamford Bridge. We thought we'd bring him back for the first part of today's show. So uh, welcome, Jim. All right, lads. Uh, Jim, good to have you back. I I I bet you didn't think it would be back so soon after uh, after last week. No, that's an honour. Talk us through first off. um, You posted a thread on on Twitter this week about uh, how City City dealt with Chelsea at uh, the Etihad. Uh, Were you a little bit surprised at Chelsea's approach for this one, um, given that Thomas Tuchel had said already that that in the Stamford Bridge game, his team were a bit too passive? You know, not massively. They they switched back to 3-4-3 and it did look like they were passive, but... It was encouraging them to play a pretty high line all the way through that first half, and they just City just got on top of them. It, it was just the way the, the match went. And it's the way it often goes. But I didn't think he set up that defensively. He set up like he usually does against City, like last season's version of Chelsea. And last season, the Carters on the break a couple of times, and I think that was a difference. Yeah, I mean, Sam, Jim said they caught, caught City on the break a few times. Um, it could have been different, couldn't it? I mean, Lukaku had a chance uh, in the first half. There was that, obviously, the one where Stones slipped and didn't didn't get the tackle in. If they'd, if they'd have played that, you know, in a manner that wasn't really, really stupid, they, they could have done a bit better there. Yeah, um, I was trying to work out. I remember thinking just before half-time, I was like, if Chelsea were to nick one now, would I think... It will be the end of the game. Would it be game over? I was like, no, because I think City are still on top. But obviously, it would have made it really difficult. And yeah, there were those chances there. And it's one of those, isn't it? Where if Lukaku scores, then everyone's calling Thomas Tuchel a genius. And there are probably a lot of the people that are saying the title race is over and City are too good and, and whatever are probably going, oh, look at these problems blown, on the counter attack. Yeah, blown they can't, blown you know, wide open again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ma- ma- yeah. Maybe not that, but it would also be. It made me more so like, oh, you know, struggling on the counter attack. Are they going to win the Champions League? You know, that kind of thing. Just from just from those, 
yeah, those Lukaku chances, basically. But Guardiola kind of mentioned it afterwards. I put, well, I quote tweeted uh, an interview that he did on my Twitter the other day. And he was saying how, you know, Chelsea are so good at, at transitions. And he was like, when we scored from a transition, like it, it's funny how it works. Because obviously that's probably wasn't how he was expecting it to go. Yeah. Um, Jim, Maybe the, it was. It, it was the left-hand side, wasn't it, that City were targeting? Yeah, so it was it was pretty interesting actually because obviously they had Saar and Alonso down that side and they're probably pretty weak in terms of Chelsea's lineup. So what City did was adapt to the press. So instead of Sterling dropping onto Saar, who's left sided centre back in the press, he dropped inside in, uh, to Mark Kovacic and City went four v four on Chelsea's central centre back, right centre back, and two defensive mids. So they basically tried to stop the build-up going down the centre and down the right-hand side and encourage them to play to the spare man, who was Saar. Um, and on the on the whole, that worked pretty well. So, But what they did also was last season, we had all the problems when the ball goes into the wing-back and uh, City's full-backs engage. When the ball was going into Alonso, who's the left-sided wing-back, City were using Bernardo almost as a spare man on, on our right-hand side to engage um, Alonso and that meant we could keep Walker in the back line. So instead of the 2v2s that we saw last season, if the ball was played up, upfield, you, you, Walker was there making a three-man defence. So on the other on the other side, um, Cancelo was pressing the wing-back, uh, was pressing as Piliqueta, but it didn't really matter because we always had those three men in the back line, for the, for the most part anyway. At the beginning of the game, Walker did press Alonso a little bit, but we changed it very quickly yeah and it, it worked pretty well yeah I was going to say Sam the there was a there was a weird kind of uh, moment in the game where uh, I think it was Ziyech um, was played through and Walker basically turned on the gas and and ran in and, and stole the ball from the halfway line back towards his own box um, and I remember thinking at that point oh quietly Walker's had a really really disciplined game here and it was uh, it was a, a couple of minutes later when uh, he knocked the, he knocked the ball forward to, to one of the forward players, and a fellow behind me said uh, he's he's not had a good game today, Kyle Walker. And I thought we're watching two different games here because I, I, he's been really really controlled in where he needs to be. Yeah, it's it's funny how those kind of well, that's the thing, isn't it? Like we are watching two different games in terms of our because it's what we're watching is kind of based on our kind of preconceptions and ideas. Like the, there was a guy next to next to me who was like really disappointed with like everything Grealish did but it's basically and for this game and the season he missed that great chance and he you know he, he missed a good chance at Watford didn't he and I think before that he missed a good chance at Leipzig and there was a couple of others but you think if he just scores a couple of those tap-ins everyone's saying he's having a great season and it was like the frustration had built at the week uh, yeah, at the weekend because he missed that chance and then everything he did was kind of oh he should be doing this should be doing that um, and it's just your kind of perception of, of what's happening and kind of are you disappointed with the big moment? But yeah, with Walker, it it's that it's those it's those moments like you say when he races back because a lot of what he does, you know, he's not going to get loads of assists. He's not going to create a load of chances. You know, he's not he's not Cancelo. Um, so the most obvious things he does and the most obvious things that your average football observer, including myself, is going to notice is those chances where he kind of bursts back and it makes you think. It just it just focuses your mind a bit because the rest of it is easy to to go under the radar. But like he's he's been one of the key men of Guardiola's the whole time at City, like the yeah. whole the whole trophy winning era since he came in in twenty seventeen. He's been fundamental to that. And our Chelsea correspondent next to me at that moment you mentioned he was like Walker's pace has been such a cheat code for City. And it I, I remind, reminds me of an article I think I wrote last season when City was it was at the start of last season when they were struggling a bit. I was like, without that, like it that when that goes, when Walker's no longer there, that's that's going to really be noticed, and I think less so now because you know City are much better at dealing with counterattacks. But it is that in particular is is really handy, and, and overall, he is he is a really important player, but just not in a particularly eye catching way. Yeah, Jim. Jim, I just wanted to ask about um, the way Chelsea played as well as more, more than anything in the way City played. Did did they just fall into City's trap here? Was it was this a case of of, of them thinking of, of 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 Tuchel switching back to what had worked last season and, and and City going actually we've we've now got a plan to deal with that. So let's see what you've got. And they just didn't have anything to to, to kind of counter it with. Yeah, in terms of um, being forced into playing down the left, that happened a lot. So 
on the chances that they did create, actually, it's interesting to look at them because obviously, like you said, the first one where Lukaku goes through and tries to play in Ziyech, I think it is. That's the Stones uh, sort of stone slip. Um, the one where he goes through and Edson makes the save in the second half is from a Cancelo gives the ball away trying to win it back to Kovacic in midfield and then he plays him through. There's not much you can do about that. But the one where Ziyech tries to put Lukaku in in the first half, but he loses it. Uh, he he, play, he overhits it, sorry. That was that came because they build up down the down the right and Sterling doesn't track Kovacic. So when the ball was played into Kovacic, who's on the right-hand side, De Bruyne is going mental at Sterling because he's, he's stayed on the wing. So from there, they get it into Ziyech and he should have put Lukaku through. That's basically the last time Sterling drops off in terms of not marking Kovacic. So yeah. they did find it really difficult and being forced down that left-hand side. The amount of times that Saar or Alonso put it, put it in out of play or Bernardo pressured Alonso. So for the Grealish uh, chance, Bernardo wins the ball back. Basically, he forces Alonso into a pass into Kovacic. Uh, De Bruyne nicks it off Kovacic and Grealish you know, should score, really. But yeah, City forced them into the way they played. Obviously, it didn't help that Lukaku didn't have his best game. I thought that was interesting in terms of Lukaku being linked to City and saying that City put a bid in for him. Um, not not this summer, but the summer before. Because if you look at that match and you see some of his touches, some of his link-up play, how that fits in with City, I, I, it's it's baffling to me. <laughs> um, but on Grealish as well, I thought his game was like, this was like a really interesting game for him because he... He had the opportunities to go in behind, which he did, which he did do, which he rarely gets uh, playing for City because of the high line that Chelsea were keeping, and he does that pretty well. He, he goes in behind a few times, but and he creates four shot uh, shot creating actions, which is only second to De Bruyne, but there's zero big chances. So it's this, it's these cutbacks again. So he's getting in against Rudiger. He's coming back onto his right foot. He sets De Bruyne up a couple of times with chances, but they sort of sort of half chances chances, and it's. It's that playing on the wing again where is it working properly in terms of product productivity? Yeah, he's keeping control out there. He's, he's keeping possession. He is creating chances, but he's not creating those big chances. Um, and there was an incident in the, in the second half where he got fouled after Edison had played the ball out to him and City took the free, quick, free kick quickly. And he had Cancelo, who was like in transition, and Cancelo is, is overlapping him. And he's cutting inside. He looks so dangerous, and Rudiger takes him down right on the edge of the box. And you think, "Wow, that was that was Villa Grealish there." But those yeah, circumstances. I remember thinking that as it was happening, I was like, yeah. "This is like the first time this has happened." Like, he's like a one-on-one, it's two-on-two kind of thing. But he's got support. He can go either side. He's running at them. There's space to go into. There's space behind. I swear this hasn't happened for him at yeah. all since he signed for Villa, and that was exciting. But like, it just goes to highlight. It's kind of the exception that proves the rule, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. that high, that highlights everything that. He, he, you know, he can do it if he gets the opportunity, but it's just a different game now. He has to play in a different way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Jim, just one final question for you. Do you do you think um, had Lukaku scored uh, in the first half instead of um, instead of trying to play it through to um, Ziyech and who was offside, or had or had he scored that one on one with Edison when it was still at nil nil in the second half? Um, do you think City would have would have still had enough to to carry on doing what they were doing to get back into the game? Potentially, it would have been tough though. It's the, the difficult to create big chances again. Obviously, the goal that we score is is you know a bit of a worldie from De Bruyne, and you know we do create chances against them, but it's it's one of the tougher matches in terms of breaking down that defence, and that's what they're there to do. You know, they're there to defend against us, and you know hope that they get one on the break. When it's first v second in the league, it's a bit galling because you think let's have a contest, but we only get that out of Liverpool. That's just the way it is these days. Yeah. Well, Jim, uh, thank you very much for being part of this week's show again. Remind us where we can find you on Twitter. Yeah, I'm at City Tactics, at City underscore Tactics. Lovely stuff, Jim. Thank you very much. Uh, no doubt we'll catch you again soon. Great. Cheers, lads. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now for the second part of today's show, we're joined by the former City Defender, Nedim Anua. Hi, Nedim. Hello, how are you? I'm not so bad, thank you. Are you, uh, you well? Yeah, I'm I'm very well, mate. I'm uh, I'm looking at blue skies in the middle of January in Manchester, so yeah, I can't really complain, can I? Well, I'm in Manchester as well, and I'm not looking at blue skies, so I'm not sure. You know, how, North yeah. Manchester, my friend, <laughs> North Manchester, it's where all the uh, the nice people are. Lovely, Sam. How about you? Are you got blue skies where you are? I have, yeah, in South. All yeah, right, so. fair enough. Fine. All right, <laughs> just me then. Do you, do you actually live in Manchester, mate? What's <laughs> going on? Yeah, open your curtains. I, I technically live in Stockport, so maybe ah, that's I knew the, it. maybe I that's knew the it. problem. I knew it. I knew it. Another one of them. Yeah, but there we are. Um, Ned, last time we had you on uh, with both me and Sam, it was it was after the Stanford Bridge game in September, which is a really nice uh, way to kind of bookend the last kind of few weeks of City. Um, that match moved City to 13 points and above Chelsea on goal difference. This one moved City 13 points ahead of Chelsea. Um, how impressed were you by, by Saturday? Yeah, I was very impressed, to be honest, especially given the fact that, say for Chelsea, that was such a big game for them in the, in the sort of scope of the season. You know, that if they had any ambitions in terms of winning the league, then it kind of felt like they had to win. I think City could afford to not win, but Chelsea had to win. But then still, you didn't see the best performance for, from Chelsea. And I think a lot of that was down to the fact that City are who they are. Um, so it was it was impressive. And, you know, you can never say never, but it seems like Chelsea are out of it now. And that game all but kind of confirmed it. And it's credit to City, like this run that they're on again. Just it just feels like a privilege. It's like deja vu. Like since I've been since <laughs> I literally came back to England, I feel like all I've done is seen City just win games. You know, not like draw anything, just win games. So yeah. I think it's twelve in a row now. And last year got to is it sixteen in the league or something? Like it's it's outrageous. And as one thing we're seeing is that people uh, you can hope to match it, but the reality is that you won't. And as a consequence, if you can't, it means that you fall off and you're perceived to be sliding down. But the fact is, it's just because you're being judged by the highest bar possible. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, it's credit to City for doing so, and I think they deserve a lot of credit for it. Sam Nedham just said something there that um, I, I it, it, it sparked off a thought in my head that I had before this game was that I wondered if if City were going to not win the title this season, if Liverpool and Chelsea both needed the other one to beat City as well as themselves. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, like, like yeah, Liverpool definitely. needed Chelsea to win and to win themselves, but I, like, I know, I know the the margin is still tight because that that game in hand that Liverpool have got is is kidding us a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Haven't haven't they got two games? Oh no, no, it's just one now, isn't it? After the Brentford yeah. game, um, yeah, it's funny actually that dynamic. Um, I'm I'm trying to think if that's been similar in previous title races where yeah, the other two teams are both like right, this one's clearly the strongest. We both need to beat them. Wasn't that the case when Liverpool won the league and it's like everyone was united against Liverpool to try and just beat them wherever possible? Wasn't that a thing? Um, yeah, I think I, I think there was I think there was a lot of that. Um, <laughs> I suppose maybe it's, uh, there was a lot of that in the sense that there was a lot of City fans and Liverpool fans and Chelsea fans and a lot of people in just in the country didn't want them to win the league, so hoped that you know Watford or Sheffield United or whoever took points off them, but their keepers were too busy throwing the ball in their own net. It is like a three-way title race, isn't it? So it's like, but you have got two of them that are like, okay, well, you'd better beat this guy because yeah. the, in recent seasons, there's been two at, at, at most, hasn't it? Really? Yeah, there, there was a there was a moment there wasn't the Sam in in lockdown when I remember thinking uh, that one of the joys of uh, not being able to go to the games and not being around for anything. One thing I could take was uh, was I did I did quite enjoy that night online when uh, it was confirmed Liverpool could only get ninety nine points and not and not top not top cities one hundred. There was there was something about that night. I found it there was quite entertaining for a time that where where we're all in this state of kind of existential crisis. You know what I mean. <laughs> I remember that being, I mean, you know, I said last week and generally I really don't like to kind of contribute to like tribal stuff yeah. on Twitter. Like, I really don't want to be part of it. But I always think if 
if somebody went back to that night, they could easily pull up a couple of tweets and say you're a hypocrite. And I and like I am. But I do try and stay clear of it as much as possible. But on that but on that night, it, it was impossible fun. to resist, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, because it was it was all about, you know, gonna, you know, City had this great season a couple of years ago. We're gonna we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and it just didn't in the end of the day. <laughs> That's uh, that's the level we got to that year. Um, uh, Sam, we, we just heard from Jim how well City were pressing against uh, Chelsea. Um, I, I, I When I was sitting in the Etihad, I knew City were being really disciplined, as we said about, about Kyle Walker, but I didn't realise quite how smart the performance was until I kind of watched it back afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was trying to keep on top of it from like a specific tactical sense because that's what I'm trying to do now when I'm watching games after 30 odd years of just following the ball around I'm trying to actually work out what's happening and who's moving where and why they're moving there and that kind of thing and I was speaking to Nadim about it during the game so I was trying to you know keep keep an eye on who was doing what and why and I had a good idea but yeah it's only afterwards um, I, I always seem to find it much easier afterwards to whether there's prompts or not just to be like okay yeah there's this and there's this but yeah it was I mean the obvious thing for me was the thing that really stood out, and I don't know if Chelsea were just too aggressive and Thomas Tuchel didn't want that overall, so they just stopped doing that, or they had intended to be aggressive. But after that night, that move after 90 seconds when Lukaku forced out or closed down Edison and got him, so that player rushed pass out, and City were like pushed back and pushed back, and Chelsea were pressing them and trying to win it high up. But City did that thing where they just do a rondo on the middle of the pitch and they had a chance for De Bruyne to play Grealish in on goal from the halfway line after like literally 90 seconds. And I just think, did Chelsea decide then that actually we, we can't we can't be doing this? Or you know whether, whether it was a conscious decision, because do you remember after the Liverpool game, Klopp said they got a bit spooked and they dropped off City and that was their problem. Like I wonder if, I wonder if Chelsea did the same. But yeah, there was other things as well, like Chelsea being so compact across the middle to stop City playing through into midfield but also being quite high. So City just went, okay, yeah, we're going to go over the top. Yeah. Um, yeah, often in terms of City's pressing and, and who's doing what, the way Jim broke it down there and on his thread on Twitter, and there's another thread on Twitter that he mentions, it's so clear. Like that, it at the moment, that's all kind of, that's a blur to me. Seeing seeing the City players, forcing players to pass down different sides and close down players in certain directions and, and that kind of thing. That's that's all a blur. So it's only afterwards that I can kind of catch up on that really. But obviously you could tell there was a great intensity to it and the way that the two sides were posing each other problems and Chelsea were happy to go long for a bit and then stopped and all this kind of thing. It was it was it, that's why for me it felt like it, it felt like a good game until about 10, 15 minutes into the second half and I was like, this is just any game at the Etihad now. This is yeah. like City against anyone. You know, whether the only threat really is on the break or a mistake. Yeah. Nedham, how hard is it to be that disciplined? Because they, there, there was, Jim was saying that after after one moment in the first half where Sterling didn't didn't cut off the pass he should do, everybody kind of kept their positions and, and didn't deviate from where they needed to be to force that sort of Chelsea performance. Um, I think in terms of being disciplined, it's probably easier when you're the better side as well. And I think as well, say if Sterling's not in the right place one time, people will tell him that he's in the wrong place, whether it's the manager, whether it's the players on the field, whether it's the coaches or whatever. And everybody knows like when you, when somebody makes a glaring mistake into the people who are on the field, they will always let them know. Yeah, I've been and on the then, receiving end of that a lot. I know what it's like. Well, there you go. There you go. Like, but interestingly, as Sam was alluding to there, you don't always see all that stuff from the outside because you don't know the plan. But 11 people on the field know the plan. So do the people on the bench and so on. So some mistakes aren't that obvious. But the thing about City, which I think makes them as good as they are, is they, they tend to correct things in real time and deal with things themselves in, in very specific ways. Because, you know... Let's be clear, talent-wise, they're incredible. But it's that discipline that you speak about which goes a long way. But they know that that's the reason for the success. And I think uh, in recent weeks, I've had to field a ton of questions about Grealish and his first season and this, that, and the other. And I think I think he'll be a good player for City and so on. But I think this year is going to be a lot of time for him trying to figure out why he's being asked to do what he's doing. And I think when you look around, if he looks around, to be able to see the why, because that's how they win the games. Yeah. through showing, making sure that you show this person this way all of the time, not some of the time. Because, you know, if you do that, that's the first that's the first domino because the next person's now going there and the next person's going there. And I think that's, that's the thing for City and, say, really good sides. You know, when, they've, when they're in possession, they can look great and control the ball and whatever, control the game. But they can do that just as well 
when they don't have the ball and they're the worst teams to play against because when they have a sort of cohesive strategy together in terms of how to win it back or how to make it hard for the opposition, like it's very hard to play against. And as uh, Sam was saying there, when Klopp, when Klopp said Liverpool was spooked, I'm sure it was the same for Chelsea in some ways when City were attacking because you can go and press. Like, like, I love pressing. I love seeing my front line go and press because then the midfielders get higher than at the back you can get higher because you know that the quality of ball into the strikers isn't going to be as good as if they're unopposed because at the end of the day, whoever's got the ball on the field at the highest level is a good player. They can do something, yeah. But when they break the press once or twice, it's then very hard for you to think, well, I'm just going to go and do this again. You seem a little bit psychotic. Like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Oh no, they've made it out again. And when you look around and you can't figure out why they've made it out, you tend to then make the adjustment to go back to, well, protect the goal first. Yeah, sit deeper. Exactly, yeah. They're not going to hurt us if they're in front of us, so maybe we sacrifice that. But as I say, credit City, the, the discipline's there, but like they've got, City have got a great manager, they've got great coaching staff, great infrastructure, but those players as well, in terms of football and IQ and understanding why they're being asked to do what, they wanted, what they're being asked to do, like... It's, it's ridiculous, which is why what we're seeing now, like for me, it's an absolute privilege because it's just no, no way should this ever be Man City, to be honest with you. Yeah, the 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 game, Sam, that I remember really kind of seeing it properly for you know, when when I when I when I when the penny dropped about how City were actually doing the press was uh, Liverpool Anfield last season. Um, everyone remembers it as as Allison making mistakes to to give the goals away, but it was the mistakes were forced by the fact that yeah. the way that City was set up, there was no pass on for him, and it was almost a case. I remember Brendan Rodgers in that five two Leicester game saying, "There's no point in pressing Edison because he'll just he, he's just too good with the ball at his feet." So we cut off the passes and we we cut off his his avenues of where he could pass it out from. And City were doing that to, to Allison at Anfield, and that was the first moment when I realised actually it must be it, it must be so hard to know where you need to be to cut off that avenue, but also not give the goalkeeper so much time to just you know just to be able to sit there with it at his feet and then pick somebody long. It, it, it's a really really disciplined and intelligent way to do it, isn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. And like we we did an article at the weekend actually, me and our new. Stats guy, he kind of provided all the stats and all the context for them. And I had a look at the, you know, the tactics of it. And it was about pressing. And it kind of spilled over into an idea about our idea of what pressing is. And I wasn't planning on speaking like this today, but that's actually set it up quite well. And I'll try and be succinct. But I did a poll last Thursday or Friday morning asking people. Um, I was speaking to Nathan about this as well. Um, and I did a poll on Thursday morning asking people who they thought pressed City the most between Wolves and Southampton. And I mean, in my mind's eye, I would have said Wolves sat back and part of the bus. Southampton pressed City high. That's how I voted in your poll, by the way. Yeah, exactly. And 70, 70% of people agreed. And I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't just me reading the game wrong and going, oh, everyone would think this. And actually it's wrong. Whereas in reality, everyone might have been like, of course that's wrong, you dickhead, kind of thing. So I wanted to check. But yeah, exactly. So there's different ways of pressing and and like there's different definitions as well and there's pressures. And I'm writing about um, De Bruyne at the moment. And I just looked at... Um, the amount of pressures he made at the weekend and he made, I think it was 21. And that, the definition of that is you close somebody down, you go within five meters. Of them. That's all it is. It's a pretty broad definition. And it, the only time he'd made more was against United. Um, but then you think sometimes like there's, there's no point reading too much into that because there'll be other games where you're not asked to make those pressures. You're asked to stand off. And to go back to the original point of why I tried to go kind of the, the long way around to get back here is because Sometimes the City players, they do have to press. And sometimes they don't. But it's not just City. That's that's so many teams. But it's so easy, kind of in football punditry, as journalists and fans and and whatever we are, to to look and, and try and sum up and go, well, this is a pressing team. But like, so Southampton, they didn't really press City high up. In fact, they pressed City one of the least amounts in any way you can quantify it of, of any team that could, well, they played City this season. But then they I just pressed re- Liverpool I, I the just most remember- at Anfield. Uh, yeah, I just remember though against Southampton City having no options. I remember the number yeah, of exactly. times uh, so, the, the centre halves had the ball with nowhere to go. Yeah, well, basically they had, and this is in the article of the weekend, but they had the two strikers basically either side of Fernandinho, so they couldn't go into Fernandinho. But then if the ball did go into Fernandinho, Romeo would run like charge into him and press, and then he'd have to try and play a quick pass. But then the Southampton had two mid- midfielders who were on like Walker and Cancelo inside. So even if they did get it to him, he had nowhere to go. But then that threat of the press from Romeo. They didn't always have to use it because they kind of knew, well, if we go to Fernandinho there, then that's the trap. 
you know, they're just going to snap into him. So we'll do something else. And that's why they couldn't play out. But the press wasn't always necessarily there. But like we say, it's not just, oh, aren't City brilliant? Because sometimes they can do, sometimes they can do that. Like, like I say, Southampton didn't really press City in that game. They, but they really pressed Liverpool. You know, it's different approaches for different games. But yeah, the way City do it, and going back to what Nadam said about the concentration to do it and to do everything right. Because like, if it, if you don't do it once, like this example with Sterling, I saw it on the video on Twitter, De Bruyne had his arms out, like, what the hell's going on? Like, you were supposed to be there. If, if that goes wrong and they score, then that can be the difference. And it, that's not to sing, signal, um, to kind of highlight Sterling and say, oh, you yeah. should have done this, should have done it's just It's just how it is. Like, that, that, these are the fine margins. And if you start doing that two or three times against a team like Chelsea, they were wasteful on the day. But if that happens more often, you're going to concede. And then yeah. you, you think, how, when's the pressure going to be even greater than it was on Saturday? And you're thinking, the big Champions League games. And yeah. the, against the teams like Borussia Dortmund and PSG last season, where they counter all the time. And Liverpool, the way City have played against Liverpool recently. When Guardiola doesn't want those transitions and it sets the team up to press in that way, to press high against those teams, because like we've just said with Chelsea pressing City, they realise after 90 seconds how difficult it is. City are then doing it against Chelsea, they're doing it against Liverpool, you know, PSG, Dortmund. And to do that, you do need to be switched on all yeah. the time. And it is, it is incredible, the work they do off the ball. And like De Bruyne, he had to get the medics on after. So he went on that long bursting run and scored the goal. And then he did one a couple of minutes afterwards. They got the medics on and I saw the medics like signal to Pep. They're like, he's okay. It's just kind of the breathing. He was just knackered. And it was after the, the Arsenal game. I didn't actually notice this, but my wife did because I had to watch on TV because I couldn't go. When everyone was celebrating, and like they were, they were fo- the cameras were focusing on some of the city players. Uh, Fernandinho, who was a sub, had come on and he was in his jacket. He come on and he called the doctors over to De Bruyne because he was knackered then. But but we'd noticed in the in stoppage time he was sprinting down after Ramsdale. So on mm. the one hand, you just got the work rate and how much you need to sprint, and on the other hand, in in um, De Bruyne's case in particular, that fitness is only just coming back now. Yeah. you know, six months on from from the summer, and you know, having COVID at the start of. Well, November, I think it was. He's only, he's only just getting back to it now. So yeah, there's there's loads of different interesting things there. Here's the thing for you: if a team doesn't play out from the back, then how do you press them? So the point the point with that is like pressing works in some games against some teams yeah, because yeah, yeah. they insist upon playing out from the back. But the danger comes when you go up against teams who are happy to then go longer. And I think that's sort of like the matchup in some ways with Liverpool, which can be quite dangerous because they will roll out from the back. But then they also have say forwards who want to stretch the line as well. So sometimes if you go too far one way, you then get exposed the other way. And again, like there's the thought of being, there's being comfortable on the ball, but then the teams who are comfortable without the ball as well, because they're still dictating the flow of the game. Like sometimes when teams, I think prime example is probably playing against City. At times when City will let teams have possession, they'll have possession around the halfway line and in their own defensive half, as opposed to in key areas. Like I think City are one of the best in terms of having possession in the opposition's territory because of the decision making and the movement and stuff like that that they have. So there is, you know, there's there's more to it. Like a press isn't necessarily as uh, as uh, Sam said there about Southampton. Like because I hold my hands up here. Here's a, here's a little thing for you. The wor- one of the worst feelings you can have when being on a football pitch is when your team has a goal kick and say you're playing centre back and everybody else is marked up except for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, you told me this before. And yeah. that was Saar, wasn't it, really? The, yeah. The like, Jim was mentioning like, they, they let Saar have it. Yeah, it's like they they want they want you to have it, but not there, necessarily because you're there must, Yeah, there, like there must be a reason why they want me to have yeah, it. They, yeah, they, they, <laughs> they've, they've looked at the two centre-backs and said, would rather he have it than this other guy. <laughs> but from there, the issue isn't the fact that you get then gets rolled to you because sometimes they don't come and press you, but what they do is they close off all your options. And now the only person that's free for you is the goalkeeper. So how does that look when you get the ball from the goalie? You come forward about 10 yards because you've got space. If you go forward that 11th yard, all of a sudden everything tightens and you've got like people are right on your toes. But then you pass it back to the goalkeeper and you hear, oh, from the crowd. <laughs> oh, mate, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible because you want to be that guy that says, no, I don't care. Just give me the ball. Just give me the ball. But you're playing into their hands, even though they've not pressed you. So there's a lot of nuance that goes on into, say, pressing and just controlling the opposition, you know, when you don't have the ball. And I think the more people sort of pay attention to it, I think the great you'll see City actually are. Yeah, I actually, I, actually, I want to ask you about that because um, we we talked on this very briefly a few weeks ago, Sam, um, about the influence. Guardiola's speaking, spoken about it as well, the, the influence that having fans back in the stadium has. 
Um, because when it was behind closed doors, it was kind of laboratory conditions, as as one of my friends Dan termed it. Like you, you, you have two football teams; they play against each other in the way that they want to play, and the better team tends to win. You don't have you know forty odd thousand people sat around you groaning when you make a pass that you you know is the pass you should make, but it's not the pass that they want to see. And I, I just wonder, does it affect your decision making? Then um, you certainly. It, it can do, it can do, but it depends on, say, the manager, the coaches, the other players on the field, because you know you've trained from Monday through Friday and what you're supposed to do on Saturday is the right thing according to that. But say, for example, if, um, if a team's moving the ball around the back and it seems like they're under pressure with every pass that gets made, like they would have worked on that for weeks, if not years. But in the crowd, you hear the anxiety, like, oh, no, 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 ah, all that stress. There's a fella behind me who he's been watching Guardiola football now for, what, six years at City? He's been watching City play out from the back. And, he's, and he still says, he, like, he still will quite will, will quite often say, there's nothing wrong with just getting rid of it sometimes. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You can, you can feel and hear the anxiety in the crowd as something goes on which they're not comfortable with. But the fact is they continue to do it because all the players on the field are comfortable with that and they understand why they're doing it. Because say, for example, if you talk, make it specific to City, they have a goalkeeper whereby like when they roll in the ball, he's just like an extra outfielder. You know, not many teams have that. So people react off that. If he gets the ball at his feet, you've got the wingers who are trying to pull on for diagonals, someone trying to stretch in behind, a, a, like a 10 that's going to drop back in, hoping for a 30-yard ball and all this stuff. And it's like... From the outside, your mind is like blown because you're thinking, what is going on here? Why, why is he dribbling? Why is he going this way? Like They understand the why and they do it so, so well. and They do it pretty much all of the time. So I think them winning the league last year where there were hardly any fans in for most of the season, I think that would have suited their style of play a lot more than now because there is something in terms of human nature whereby you, know, you can sense the anxiety and you don't want to make them feel bad, especially if it goes wrong. But in the grand scheme of things, they are champions, they're winners, they're elite players, and they'll continue to do the right thing according to what they're being told and what their teammates expect of them. So I think, you know, for my for my version of City, yeah, you hear the crowd and you won't you won't come short for a goal kick if the crowd are anxious. But for them, if it's the right thing to do, they'll just continue to do it whether yeah. fifty thousand people sound anxious or fifty thousand people tell them to do it. I tweeted about it again, this interview that I quote tweeted at the weekend. And I think it might it might lead us on to the other big topic we're gonna discuss or certainly it does in the way I think about it so yeah you've got that thing where you've got the ball at the back or you know the, the, I, I remember when we were at Villa and we know when Bernardo Silva scored that goal at the start of December mm. Villa were really pissed off because because Villa kept trying to play out from the back the Villa fans were pissed off because the Villa players were trying to play out from the back and kept losing it and then you could see the grumbles around the stadium so that's one thing um, but the other thing is what Guardiola mentioned because he was, he, he mentioned how that kind of he, he he mentioned a bit about transitions and how losing against Chelsea when you lose control, it's you know a bit of a problem. And the interviewer very perceptively said, "Well, it was after the first after the goal, wasn't it? The last fifteen minutes, Chelsea put you under under a bit of pressure and um, caused a bit of trouble." And Guardiola, the first thing he was like, "Yeah, the fans," and like it wasn't a criticism, but it just goes to show the difference between what the fans and what we expect or hope for from City and what he's telling them or what they're designed to do these days. And he was saying the fans, when Chelsea opened up, so Chelsea made the subs and they'd opened up and they were pushing more anyway. So the spaces opened up to transition. And he said the fans love that. People love to see that in football, whether they're City fans or not, whether they're neutrals, you want to see a kind of open end-to-end game. And he was like, and he, he was saying ultimately he could understand why his players did it because ultimately those those opportunities to transition. You remember when De Bruyne tried to find um, Sterling for a through ball, he would have been one-on-one. I think um, Foden tried the same thing and they both got cut out. Ultimately, those things were very understandable decisions to make because the fans were cheering you on and, you know, it was go, a kind it's, of... It's it's like that. Pass. Go, if you make go, that pass... Yeah, go kill the game, yeah. Then it's 2-0. Then it's but what he wants, he said, you know, the thing what you need to do there is go in, take it into the other half and make 20,000 million passes. And that, for me, is a great example of this about how the, the crowd can, the, can cheer you on Um to do things that the manager doesn't necessarily want you to do, but the big thing is, this is what City are now. This is how this is how Guardiola play, and this is how they get that control. Um, the, the, do you remember the Brentford game when he actually said, "Well, I'll paraphrase a bit," but he, he, what he said was, "Because I know people like open games, but because that's no good for us." 
And that's how they played it. And it was the same kind of thing against Chelsea at the weekend. And all this this way of controlling games so there's no transitions. That's how they do it. They don't take, you know, we've been talking for so long about how they don't really counter-attack. You know, it's just just take the ball and kill it. Just slow it down again. And, th- and that's what they do. Um, I-, I thought it was really interesting how he mentioned that. And I think it, it kind of ties into, it's well, the one kind of concession I would give to the our Man City boring debate. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Well, I was going to move on to the narrative uh, because, Nedham, that, that, that is boring, isn't it, if you're not a City fan? Yeah, but like, so what? Like, just do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. This, is, this is the thing that gets me because maybe some City fans are saying it as well, but I'll be honest with you, like, winning should never be boring because, or you can call it boring, but losing every single week is horrendous. Like, it's awful. Go into games where your team's constantly losing, they're not playing well. Nobody's wishing for that. And I think the fact that City are doing what they're doing now, I think maybe someone's to be unhappy from the outside. Be unhappy with Liverpool, be unhappy with Chelsea, be unhappy with Man United for the way that they've not been able to compete. Because for me, like I love this Man City team and I love the yeah. players within it. But it's not a team of Galacticos who all came for £500 million each and they were cherry-picked from all the best clubs around the world but they do perform very, very well. They have a style of play. They believe in each other. They work hard. They're winners. They win games. So, like, I, I, someone wants to call City boring. Like, I, like I, don't, I don't care. A team that wants to control the game is a team that needs to firstly have the mentality to be able to do so, the technique to be able to do so, and the consistency to be able to do so. Like, that's a strength. That's not a weakness. You can call yeah. it boring because they win all the time, but there's a reason why they win all the time. And some of those reasons there, like other teams can be better. Chelsea, Chelsea City on the weekend is in some ways for me an example because both teams like to control the game through possession. But unfortunately, two teams can't do that at the same time. So they both started off trying to do the same thing and then Chelsea relented because City were doing it better. Yeah, like That's not boring. That's like, that's a skill in and of itself. So I know people, I don't know, you can call it boring that they're winning, but it only looks bad because the other teams aren't. If... Chelsea and Liverpool hadn't drawn and lost some of the games which they'd lost recently. It'd still be a three-team sort of title race. And as a consequence, would City still be boring? And does that mean that Liverpool and Chelsea be boring? Or would it mean that it's a title race, which the neutral would be more interested in? You know, like, what is it? Is it about yeah, City? What, what, what is it? Come on. Like, what, 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 like, what do you want? What do you want? <laughs> a team here? Like, I, 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 this is so hard because, you know, being an ex-player, I try and be very respectful to everyone, yeah? But some of the people were saying City did this, City did that, they bought this title, they've done this, they've done whatever, blah, blah, blah. Within this last 12 games they've been winning, they've had like Nathan Ake at left back and Nathan Ake was at Bournemouth. And like he's, he isn't the best player in the Premier League, but he was doing his job for the team and he was invaluable for the team during that time. So when you level some of this criticism at City, like look at the pieces within it itself. And a lot of those pieces, in my opinion, they've earned the right to be discussed as, as being really top players. But then Kevin De Bruyne didn't work at Chelsea. You look at, um, say, Gundogan two years ago, nobody was really having him. Rodri, when he came in, no one liked him because they preferred Fernandinho. You've got John Stones there, who some people say, oh, he shouldn't play for England, he shouldn't do this. Like, what are, you, what, what are people... Sorry, I've gone. I've gone here. I've gone it's, here. It's fine. The, the only other one I was going to chuck in was the one I hear. I still, to this day, hear all the time that Raheem Sterling is overrated and scores tapping. Ah, and it's like, what, listen, what are you watching? It, what are you watching? If, if you even, even if you want to create a compilation video of his tappings, I'll create a compilation video of balls that have gone into the box, and your wingers at your football clubs haven't been there. <laughs> and I ask you the question: Why? Why are they not there? 
And it's because they don't have what he has, which is that huge desire to go in and affect a game in a positive manner. People make it seem like he's running. He he gets just to the head of the queue with three other City players to get the tap-ins like he's fighting them for it. Like He's doing his job like everybody else is, the same way the person that squared the ball into the six-yard box, the same way the person that played the ball for the person who's going to play the ball into the six-yard box. They're doing their job for the team and they're doing it to the highest of standards, which is why these are all consequential players within the history of the Premier League. And for me, like, just what is wrong with that? Like, what's the problem? If, like, uh, sorry, um, I've fully got it. (laughs) Like I said, I think City have got some incredible players, but all the players within that team have earned the respect that they have right now based on how they've played because not every signing has to be a success and the people who they've brought in I don't think there's ever really been a point, in my opinion, where they brought somebody in and as a consequence, that meant that they're definitely going to win the Premier League. Like when you look at the start of this season, Chelsea did well. They won the Champions League, finished the season really well. And they brought in Lukaku. Lukaku, that's it now. They've made it. This is going to be the start for them. And he's a very good player. But like, what was that with City this year was bringing in Jack Grealish. To come, that was it now. Everything's said and done. This is it. Well, no, it wasn't because come the start of the year, everyone's like, well... They missed out on this, so it means they're not going to do that. They drew with Southampton. Yeah, they washed up. They're not going to score enough goals. This, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. Here we are. Yeah. 13 points from Chelsea. Like, what What do you want? If they bought every, if they bought Salah this summer, and then they bought flipping, I don't know, Chelsea Kante, and then they went to United and bought Pogba or something like that, and they were doing that every season, I'd say, yeah, cool, buy Munich. But they're not that. So as a consequence, like, just, excuse my French, but just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, the Thank question. French. I'll yeah. show you some French. I know. I was going to say something drastic, then I was like, uh, actually, I'll say film Tygo. How about that for you? <laughs> I don't know what that means. So fantastic. I know Firma Lebouche, yeah. Um, Sam, the, the, the question that I have about all of this criticism that comes City's way is yeah. um, why, why do so many people who aren't City fans seem to think it's City's job to entertain them? Yeah, so I mean, I I didn't mean to set up, well, I thought you were going to set up the chat, but the way it went, you know, we we went into it that way. So my kind of preamble was going to be, nobody needs to, nobody knows, needs to know or work out if I find City boring or not. Because if you listen to this podcast, chances are it's not your first time and you know I really enjoy it. And if you see my tweets on a match day, you know I'm having fun. So yeah, but I mean, the one one thing I can can see people saying, oh, they're boring, is because if you're given a choice to watch a game that's end to end and there's going to be five goals or like a coaching masterclass, most people are going to say, I'll go with the, the end-to-end, which, you know, can be can be a masterclass as well, but not in the way the pay. So I get it. So like, like like I say, Guardiola, at this moment in time, and it is quite interesting, um, the way he's kind of gone, I don't know, is, the, is, is there a way he's kind of turned attacking football defensive in, in a sense? Um, but, you know, for all the reasons we were talking about even before the boring debate came into view, like that it's incredible the way they play and i appreciate that so i think i think part of it is and it's impossible not to sound snobby here because i'm by no means a kind of tactical football understanding genius but i do think a lot of it is oh well they've got loads of money so obviously they're going to play well like people just don't understand how difficult it is to do what they do and what Naden was saying before and what we were saying before about what they do off the ball and how concentrated they are you know that i think that's i think well, evidently, I think that's easy to say for granted. Um, so people have got no kind of appreciation of of how good it is. I w- I would say, um, but I think the main thing is like, like yeah, to go back to your question, like oh, was any City fans to listen listen to this tuning into Liverpool every week when they were winning the title, playing really well? No, like you, you don't want your rivals to to win and play well, and when they do play well, you don't necessarily tune in because it's great football. Like the 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 point's been made this week that you know people would rather watch Man United, and it's not necessarily it's not necessarily oh they'd rather watch Man United because they're good, but it's because they're mad. Like if you if Man United are playing, I, I dare say now there's a lot of City fans who will be quite happy to watch United games these days because there's ch- chances are they're not going to win, and it could <laughs> and it could be a shambles. Whereas you know 15, 20 years ago there's no there's no way you'd be watching United on the telly if they're well, on. There's no way because they'd be winning, and yeah. it's that and that's it. It's just people's it's people who are sick of City winning. 
Well, here's here's my pop psychology about it. So they just come up with whatever shit they can find to discredit it. But go on. Well, well, my pop psychology about it is, uh, and this is thinking out loud, so I could be way wide at the market, but I wonder how many of these people are simply fans of teams that were successful when they were growing up. And, you know, when, when we're kids you think everybody's experience is the same as, as your own. So if your team is winning, you think everybody else is enjoying your team winning as well. And so now when yeah, you're a bit older, you look back at it and you think, well, everybody enjoyed it back then when, when we were winning, but nobody's enjoying it now. And actually, nobody was enjoying it other than the fans of the teams that were winning back then either. It's just that that's not how you remember it. And I just wonder if that's if that's the way it is. Yeah, I, I see that. And you, you're probably right. You're probably right. Because um, like if you love Liverpool... You're not going to like Man United. You're not going to like Man City in this current phase. If you love Chelsea, like you think your team's the best, it's that sort of naive fan view of their team. This is the best football club in the land. We should be winning this. We work really hard. We should do whatever. Like that's not the way it works. And I think the fact that City are rolling over teams week in week out, that's frustrating them. And it's no surprise to me that probably one of the most watched City games was in pro- probably in terms of late viewership was probably when City were playing Arsenal. And there was probably talk that City were on the back foot and they weren't playing well. And there was a chance for Arsenal to go and beat Man City. And all of a sudden, Arsenal represented every team that hates Man City or rather hates the team yeah. that's doing really, really well. Yeah. As a consequence, the conversations off the back of it, oh, it's a robbery. It's this, it's that. Like Everybody took that personally. But not many people were talking about it through the sort of prism of Arsenal. They were talking about it more through the fact that they don't like Man City. Oh, City have paid off the league. They've paid off the refs. Yeah, in fairness, I did, I, did think they, I did think they burgled the points that day. But no, still. No, no, listen, <laughs> listen so, so did I. So did I. But in the same breath, they did defend well in certain moments. And it shows this is, the, this is that cliche game where everyone says, well, this is what champions are made of. A day when they don't play well, but they get a result. But like I say, it was all the stuff afterwards. It was more anti-City than pro-Arsenal, even though, you know what I mean? Do you, do you get where I'm coming yeah, from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there yeah. was a lot of hate that was being able to be vented from certain people who didn't have an affinity to Arsenal, but have a certain disdain for Man City. That kind of shows the situation that they're in at this moment. Yeah, Sam, is is this basically, have we been heading always to this point anyway? Because there's very little else you can say about City. And Nedham, Nedham just spent you know a, a good while this show talking about how they, they've put together a team that works for each other and that all the players, all, all the different parts of the team work really well, but might not necessarily be the best version of that player that you could get elsewhere, that sort of thing. Is, is it basically yeah. that there's, there's nothing else you can say about City these days other than, you know, they've spent a lot of money and they control games really well? Yeah, there's a couple of points there. I think, like I say, the appreciation's there. And I think when... So one of the one of the points there, and look, if, if, if this had been me and you having this conversation... David, I think it would have been, I would have been a lot, you know, I'd have been having the kind of rants like Nadam has. But I mean, he's he's fulfilled that role, and I kind of, <laughs> I do feel, I feel, but I feel the same. Um, but I think what so when you're talking about Nathan Ake there, and this is just me playing devil's advocate, which I'm sure Nadam you'll, you'll appreciate because you know that's most of our conversations. Basically. But people will say, well, he costs forty million, and I, again, now that's not that's not that's not me saying that. But the the point of view is. And so, like, in terms of what you were saying there, Mooney, in terms of they, they've spent a lot of money and they control games really well, well and there's not a lot, lot, lot to say. The like, Grealish thing is always not, not everyone can spend $100 million for a player that's not going to start the game. You yeah. hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, but that is a fact. Like, my, my thing with the Grealish valuation is it's not that he costs $100 million, so he should be doing this and he should be doing that. It's If, any, if there is a conversation, it's City are in such a position now where they don't need a hundred million pound player to do what everyone would expect a hundred million pound player to do. They, they don't need that. A hundred million pound player to Man City because of how well they've done everything else and built their squad does not have to come in and say, like Lukaku does not have to come in and say, okay, well we're, we're winning something now. He just comes in and goes, well, you just do your job and you happen to cost this money, which, which they've got. Yeah, so there, there's a, there is a slight difference there with that yeah. one, but yeah, it's um, to go back to this this whole devil's advocate point. But, but you know, it's it's the money, isn't it? It's the money that's spent, and it's two sides of the same coin. So Miguel Delaney wrote uh, an article last weekend, and um, asked, well, I was speaking um, to a mate about his city fan. He was like, it's sort of like a backhanded compliment, isn't it? And it's like I read it, and I, like, a lot of the things in there are like they're facts, or it's fair to say. But it kind of depends on your perspective. And it's like, 
but I couldn't disagree with a lot of that. You know, I could with some, but that's fine. It's not a criticism of his work. And, you know, he'll read my article and I'm sure he'd probably disagree with even more. But there's one element to it of, in terms of how well they've built things, I am convinced the difference is Guardiola. Yeah. And I think that point has been made a bit on Twitter the last few days as well. You know, City had the most expensive squad and these, these kind of advantages when Mancini and, and Pellegrini were there. And okay, it's further down the line. So you could argue the more money you spend, the closer you're going to be to getting it right. And there's, there is certainly um, evidence for that just in, in terms of how football works. The more money you spend and the higher your wage will, the closer you're going to be to the top of the table. So it's hard to get away from that. But I think it goes back to the appreciation because this isn't just a, a good team. This is a great, that all-time great Premier League team. And I don't think without Guardiola, you're getting a great, an all-time great Premier League team. I remember tweeting that the, the couple of days after they got knocked out by Monaco and Chelsea were going to win the league. So this is Pep's first season. I was like, look, what Chelsea are doing is good. And like to win the title with wingbacks and whatever, how Conte's doing it is good. But it's not especially memorable. I was like, what City want to do is... Be remember like they want to do something special. They want to. They Guardiola's not going to change his ways to to come back to the mean of the Premier League. He wants to do it his way, and therefore he wants to do it in a way that is going to make this City team one of the most memorable. Well, that's what they want to do, and that is what they've done. And but without Guardiola, it's not happening. Yeah, it's it's just not. Like he's he's managed to keep those players in a frame of mind where, and we've talked about this before. I'm not saying. Everyone loves him, and he's a, a man management genius because he's not especially popular. But you know that I think that's the case at a lot of top clubs. But he's got the respect, and he's got whatever it is that the players go. Oh, I wish I'd play more, but fuck me when I when I do play, I'm going to do the job. And he's fostered this mentality where no big players are left. Really, Sane didn't. You know that didn't go particularly well. But despite some grumbles and some wanting to go, and yeah, maybe if the market had been different, more players would have gone. But they all go out there and do and do their thing on the pitch. And I remember saying when we did that podcast after the Champions League final, trying to explain the view towards the manager. It's so different to what we expect because if you think four or five players in the dressing room aren't just unhappy but want to go, you're thinking that's late stage Mourinho, where you know it's a team that's in crisis and everybody wants to go. But that's not the case. You know there is that, but they've still managed to fit everything together and there's no point in me explaining what they do on the pitch because we we talked about it for the Chelsea game they just do that every week or if it's the Arsenal game they do it in a different way or it's a Liverpool yeah. game they do it in a different way or if it's a team that's going to go longer they'll just sit off more they're, they're so adaptable they are so good so people will say and I've been talking for what what was that average time of our show three days <laughs> three days yeah <laughs> but like people will say it's about the money and and the other, the other thing in that article is, is it's like a it's a project that that um, it can't be replicated. Newcastle can't replicate it now mm. because there's FFP now, and it's, I do I do get that. Um, but then I mean, but then you go down the rabbit hole of you know was FFP just set up to stop City doing this, and is yeah. that right? Is that wrong? Blah blah blah. Which we're not going to go into again. That would be another three day <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but, like, the, but this is what people. But this is what this is what people who don't necessarily like City, or at least if they. They'd, it's not about like, it's just about the state of football at the moment. It's about, the quote was, if this is if if this is how you'd imagine, if you could imagine how a state-backed project would look, this is it. And it's like, in terms of the money and the precision and stuff, I kind of get that. But like, there's another state-backed project at PSG and they're not this. Like, And it's like, it's not just Guardiola because just saying it's Guardiola is a difference. It kind of plays down what you know, Ferran Soriano's vision off the pitch, and Cheeky Bagiristan, and it doesn't because they they would still have the the City Football Group but without Guardiola at the head of it. It's just not the same. And I I've said this before. I said this the other week. Like maybe when when Pep goes, if the new manager comes in, and they keep blitzing everything, then either the new guy's a genius as well, or maybe I was wrong. And and you know you could get a few coaches who can do it, but I'm convinced it's 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 Guardiola that makes that difference. And like. Okay, you could you could pump unlimited funds, and look, n- nobody else is going to be able to do that now. Newcastle can't get, won't be able to get sponsors from companies in Saudi Arabia because there's that new Premier League related party rule, and City fans would say, "Look, the pre- Premier League cartel are doing it to Newcastle now. They're not going <laughs> to let them get to the top of the table." Um, but yeah, so no other teams can do that. But also, you kind of, you can't, you can't just give anyone. You, know, you can't give me, you can't give us three a billion pounds and say, "Well, start NASA." Yes. 
how, is, how are you going to do that? You can't, you know, we're not going to put somebody on the moon. Yeah, that's that's the what you said there is, some, is the point which I've been thinking in my mind now. And it's, it's so, so difficult to be able to do this. But as a concept, I think this this might work out. So if you look at the players that City have now, like the argument about the money that they've spent, it's a fair argument. They've spent money. But in all those windows where they brought in these players who are now exceptional for this football club, ask yourself if they were the obvious players to sign in that window and in that time. And if you had the money yourself for your respective club, is that what you'd expect your team to be able to do as well? Yeah. Ruben Diaz, Ruben Diaz was the, what, third choice, fourth choice? Exactly. And there are, the, there are the players like that. Like These are good players that City are bringing in, but they're not like this overall. They're not distinctly obvious superstars who everybody was fighting for at any given moment. Like, say, if City buy Haaland or someone in the summer, that's a whole different conversation. But for the other people which they're bringing in, they're bringing in people who complement who they are at this moment. And as a consequence, those guys, they come in. I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad players, but they don't come in as superstars. But then all of a sudden they fit into the system and they thrive within that with the abilities and stuff that they have. And they start to look really, really good. Like look at, say, I don't know, this, this one's just coming off the top of my head. But Raheem Sterling for Man City, when he's playing at his best, he's basically invaluable in my opinion. But then if he was to become on, come for sale in the summer, how many teams in England would go for him? So then what's his value? Is somebody more valuable when they're in the side as opposed to when they're on the open market? Yeah. But yeah. there we go. So my, my final question for today's show, Nedham, um, and I'll throw it to you. Should should City fans care if this if, if everybody else says they're boring? Should City fans care? We're winning all the time. We're playing good football. We enjoy it. Who cares what people think? Um, I think you I think you obviously will care because it's always nice when you you feel you belong to a nice product and other people say it's nice too. But you know, this is England, this is the Premier League, and like teams that dominate aren't necessarily liked by a lot of people. Prime example at this moment, if I can be completely honest here, is the amount of people that are enjoying seeing Man United struggle at this moment in time. You know, through the 90s when they were dominant, they were dominant. And now, like, I'm seeing everybody's really enjoying seeing them go collapse against Filler, enjoying them lose against this team, that team, and so on and so forth. So I think you, you would want, you'd want your team to be respected more, but the success that City have right now means that, you know, new... That, nobody's neutral. I'm going to say nobody's neutral, but people will pretend to be happy with it, but they're just waiting for the moment where you're not at the top anymore, especially because the gap at times seems like it's so far away from everybody else. But the fact is, I think for anyone who's associated with City, who enjoys watching them, who enjoys this pep version of City and the success that they have, is made the most of it because I can't see how it gets better. And as a consequence, it means that at some point in the future, it will get worse. So whether people like it, dislike it from the outside, I think we should make the most of it because it's truly, truly special. Like to talk about this run that they're on now, the stat was that I think under Pep, they've had four spells where they've won 10 games in a row. I think it is during his tenure, at least 10 games in a row. And then the next in line after that is um, somebody with two. And then the drop down goes to like five games and stuff like that. So this is objectively this the like most uh, they say in America like winningest manager for <laughs> a season or whatever you know yeah. what I mean like it's it not normal to be to be sitting here after they've won 12 league games in a row and talking and just looking out like everything's normal like, that's a real blessing because most teams through history will never ever come close to that so what other people think at the end of the day it doesn't matter people will hate you because you're successful and they'll say you bought it you did this you did that but in fairness to the club, they did it their way. They did it how they saw it, saw it. The manager's done it how he sees it. And as a consequence, you're getting the best version of that product itself. And that product itself wouldn't work everywhere, but it's working for Man City. So take pride in that. And yeah, if someone wants to say otherwise, just ask them, if you had a billion pounds, would this be the team that you'd assembled? And the likelihood is they would say no. So yeah, there's, there's something special about that, in my opinion. Like from a coaching point of view, because obviously Nedim gives a, a player's point of view and I'm sure he could give the, like a coaching one as well because it's the same kind of thing. But like I mentioned last week, how there's loads of guys around with like UEFA Pro licenses and stuff who, you know, they're not Premier League managers. And the idea of going to another country and standing in front of a group of players and saying, we're going to play this way and then them doing it, is that would be a fucking huge success. But then does it when you go from Barcelona, going to Bayern Munich, I'd imagine, this is a bit of a straw man argument because I don't actually know, but I'd imagine there was a bit of, oh, I wonder how we will get on at another country. You know, he hasn't got all the Barca players now. It's a different style. 
adapted to that style, adapted what he did, adapted to his methods, and got them playing fantastic football his way. And yeah, they kept on winning. And you can either keep saying they kept winning the Bundesliga or he didn't win the Champions League, whichever you want to do. He got a new group of players playing his style. And then he came to the Premier League. And I now I know for a fact there was definitely people saying it's not going to work. It is working. Like as a coach, purely to get players to do what you want is the achievement in itself. And then what you want is actually amazing football that people love watching and it wins trophies. Like people Again, the, it's like the better City are, the easier it looks. And I think that's the issue people don't understand. They're too good for people to comprehend. And then you get other things like chucked in as well. Like, oh, you know, well, if something doesn't work for, for City, then they'll just they'll just sell him and get another one. It's like that happened with Edison and that's it. That happened with Bravo and Edison and it hasn't happened since. How many times has City bought in a player and they've gone, oh, well, it's not work. Fuck off, we'll bring someone else in. It's that. It's, it's Bravo and Edison. But yeah, it's the, it's the how as much as anything. Like that success as a coach to go and be able to do that. And again, people think, oh, well, he's coaching a big club and big player, so it's easy. In, in some ways, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it is harder because I'm sure people who have only managed in the Football League would say, fucking hell, I'd love to have those players. But it's this idea of, oh, when's, you know, Sean Dyche going to get a big job kind of thing, which you'd hear said before. It's like, you need to manage the big egos. You need to play the type of football that the big players want to play. And how many times have we seen it when a manager goes into a dressing room at a big club and they last about six months? At Real Madrid, it happens every couple of years. You need to go in and be capable of managing those players just on a on a kind of day-to-day basis, let alone the football. And yeah, Guardiola's brought all that together. The club's brought it all together in the way that, like I said earlier, it might sound ridiculous and people who aren't City fans might listen to that bit I said about Grealish and say it's ridiculous, but it's true. The squad's built in a way that a £100 million player doesn't need to doesn't need to add 20 goals. Yeah. He needs to come in and yeah. add another option. And to be fair, they probably thought Bernardo was going anyway, so it was a bit of a replacement anyway. But yeah, there loads of different... Yeah, loads of different... The boring thing, I'm going to write about it next week. I don't know how I'm going to kind of boil it down to 1200 words or whatever but it's just like it basically just comes down to opposition people not liking what you do but what did I say in March when City were on that 20 odd game winning run in terms of City fans just enjoy it like Nadem said like it's it's as good as it gets don't don't worry so much about what other people are saying on Twitter and I know it probably grates more when it's not when it's not just rival fans but you know there's journalists saying it as well but like there's there's plenty of good stuff being written about City and how good they are as well. So try and enjoy that, and it'll, yeah, you'll have a you'll have a good six months until the end of the season. Yeah. Well, that brings us to an end of the uh, 100th episode of Why Wiz Us. Thank you to our guest for this week, Neda Manua. That's all right. I didn't know it was a hundredth episode. Congratulations, guys! And thanks thank you very me. much. We we do apologise to everybody who's listened uh, for all this time. Uh, you've, thank you for sticking uh, to us, uh, Sam. Uh, here's to the next hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's why I got Neda on just to get him involved in a 100th show. Give him a taste of oh, Cheers, mate. Cheers, Sam. That's very kind of you, mate. That's all right. You'll get, you'll, you'll get there one day. No, nah, it's, it's probably not going to happen. So, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm happy with 99, Noel Gallagher. That's fine. That's plenty for me, mate. We'll, uh, we'll see. Nedham, we do, uh, we, we, we do uh, knowing, knowing who uh, you've got lined up for it, if it comes off, uh, I do hope you get there anyway. So uh, fingers crossed for you, mate. Um, don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic right now with a 33% discount. Just use the code MANCITYPOD. The Athletic.